The Leadership File on Premier. Welcome to the show which talks to Christian leaders about the topics that really matter. I'm Andy Peck. If you're a regular listener to Leadership File, you may recall one of my guests sharing a statistic that has stuck with me. It was Peter Briley who stated that for every person who comes to faith in the UK this year, five believers will be taken to be with the Lord. The age profile in many churches in the UK is skewed towards the elderly. Well, I welcome back to the Leadership File, Lee Critcher. He's the senior pastor of Amplified Church in Pittsburgh. He faced this very issue and his book, For a New Generation, charts how his church turned things around. Some even received uh, free copies who've been listening to that particular show, and then we have indeed some this week as well. In 2003, they were a dying church with less than 200 weekend attendees and an average age of over 50. They're now close to 2,000 weekend attendees with an average age of approximately 35. And he's back in the UK leading meetings on the strategies that he's adopted. So, Lee, welcome back to Leadership Farm. Thank you, Andy. It's a pleasure. Um, we, we covered a lot of ground when you were in before, but just remind us of your kind of context and how it all came about. Yes, I had helped to found the church in the late 70s mm. during the charismatic movement. Mm. Uh, and it, during ni- from 1990 to about 2003, I was had shifted from being in ministry to the world of human resources. Mm. I was in leadership um, development and executive coaching with a couple of different international firms. And so in 2003, I was living in Atlanta, our family. We were attending Andy Stanley's church, North Point Community Church. And I got a call from Pittsburgh to say, would you consider coming back? The church is running on difficult times. And so we made, we prayerfully made that big decision to go back, um, uh, my wife and I. And, and so I've been back in ministry, full-time ministry there uh, since 2003. And and you you understood already there was a little bit of an agenda of of if things could change. In other words, there were one or two people who were already um, expecting you to come and do a few things. Is that right? Yes, I think the people were hoping uh, if I came back as senior pastor that the church would begin to grow and get healthy again because we were in dire financial difficulties. The attendance was dropping precipitously, and so there was a hope that perhaps we could um, turn things around. But for most of the people who were there, the hope was, you know, let's go back and do things like we did in the late 70s and early 80s. And what I made it clear was if we're going to turn things around, it wasn't just to increase attendance, but it was to be a multi-generational church. Uh, when I look at Paul's writings, I believe he assumes when he says older men mentoring younger men, older women mentoring younger women, he's assuming the churches are multi-generational. And so we were a church of old people. We were a church that did not reflect our community. And so I knew we had to make radical changes. And I'm, you know, our, my biggest focus was around how do we reach those under the average age of our community, which was age 35, even though we were well more than 15 years older than the community we were living, we were serving. Uh, and who did you need to convince about all that? Was it were the leaders basically on board with with the need for change, or, or was it was it a struggle? Well, I think everyone knew that we had to change. It's just that the agreement on what to do was was right. not quite there. 
I decided to take the board of directors, they were the elders and directors of the church, mm-hmm. those who were in the church government roles, them and their spouses, to go visit the church where we had been members uh, in Atlanta and so that they could see a church that was a multi-generational church that was really shaping mm-hmm. their city. And so I wanted them to catch a vision of what it could be. Mm-hmm. And that began to generate a lot of support to say, okay, wow, wow this is an amazing um, churches. Churches can be way different than we thought they could be. And perhaps we can make that kind of transition. And and we talked before about this this uh, what I would think was quite an extraordinary rule <clears throat> that you adopted, um, which actually helped to change things around. Perhaps you could share that. Yes, um, w- one of the principles that we really applied was to build a mentoring culture, because my hope was not just to help our church to be healthy for the next you know decade or two, but to try and build a church that would uh, last on for generations and. So to build a mentoring culture was the assumption you're always looking for younger people that you're mentoring and always putting them into significant roles of leadership to give them an opportunity. So we had a couple of things that we adopted for that. One is what we called three deep mentoring. In other words, we said to every person doing something in the church, whether they are on staff or very small staff or volunteers, who pick one or two people that you are training to do what you're doing and make sure that when you're on vacation, everything goes smoothly and that as we perhaps move you to another area of ministry, that there's someone to step right in. And typically that's a younger person that they're tapping on the shoulder to try and get them ready. And that in itself was a big challenge because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of, I don't want to use the word pride, but there's a lot of pride that people have Mm -hmm. in their role in the church. And sometimes they'll come back from being on holiday, and they love to hear people say, oh, it was terrible while you were gone. Oh, (laughs) we're so glad you're back. And, you know, we began, I began to speak from the pulpit and talk one-on-one and in small groups about the fact that your leadership is um, indicated by what happens when you're not there. And if if people are saying it's terrible while you're gone, that's an indictment of poor leadership. And so we started to build a mentoring culture with that. And uh, I think we were talking a little bit about the 75% rule that we had as well. Um, That was a pretty radical thing that we did. And that is, we said we want to get 75% of the people who are in visible leadership during a weekend service to be the average age of our community or younger. And so since the average age of our community was 35, that's finding a lot of young people. And that could be giving announcements, doing a scripture reading, um, being a part of the worship team experience. Uh, But I was counting myself. I was 50 then. I'm 60 60 now. I was counting myself as part of the 25%. So uh, we really were trying to make the people who are in the front of the congregation you know, much more visible that that this was a younger um, group of leaders. And we can talk a couple of the reasons why we did that and how that turned out. Sure. Um, Now, in a little while, we'll we'll talk perhaps more specifically of how we apply this in the UK, because I'm imagining that one of the problems for church leaders is they're, they're, they're running hard just to keep things going, just to keep things turning over. And even though they know it's not quite working, they're hoping that maybe sometime 
God's going to breathe on it all and it's going to go better. And then there's pastoral crises. There's the tyranny of Sunday morning coming around. And, and many people initially are thinking, yeah, we're, we're struggling a little bit. We've got an over-age profile. But it's hard to imagine having the space to think, let alone to find the energy to initiate change. And uh, you, Can you maybe speak to that just as we start? I do think in, when we use the word strategy or thinking strategically, it, it sounds perhaps not, not led by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. But really, I believe the Holy Spirit can lead us to think long term, not just short term. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, I know in, our, in my early days as a Christian and as a pastor, I used to equate being led by the Holy Spirit with spontaneity mm-hmm. and uh, as opposed to the kind of strategic planning, um, prayerful strategic planning that we do. We start every year with a few days where I pull the leaders aside and we say, what does God want us to do this coming year? What are we supposed to stop doing? What should we continue doing and be more excellent with it? What should we start doing? And I think that sometimes you do need to prayerfully pull aside and look ahead to the future and, uh, and assume that change is a part of our profile. And when when we looked at the very beginning uh, of our changes, we definitely spent a lot of time, um, the leaders together, saying, what are we going to be doing? What does God want us to do? Oh. What do we need to do to change? And having had the corporate executive coaching experience, I found that for organizations, um, sweeping comprehensive relatively quick change was much more effective than that slow incremental change which can be torturous for people oh that now that's fascinating because i i was going to ask the question uh, later on about whether you think it's wise to be slow at changing things because in part one of the problems in a lot of churches is communication and people hear uh, and they 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 only they hear that the, the, the new the new ideas and they haven't had the six months that the leaders have had to, yes. to kind of germinate the whole thing. But you're saying that there's some value in doing it quick. I think when you can – to me, I felt it was my responsibility as the senior pastor to lead. You know, And as a leader, I, I needed to lead the change. But I also knew I couldn't do it without a lot of the key people who are leaders, lay leaders and um, – and so we had a couple of part-time staff people as well to really be out there in small groups and talking to people about it. But my bias was that the primary biggest changes had to take place in the first two years. Hmm. And so we did it that way. And I would announce them together and I'd say, let's make this happen. And it's very exciting. And it didn't feel as exciting to some people who like things the way they were. But they did know that the way things were was not working. So that was somewhat helpful. Um, But I think of the – I mean, we we think that slow incremental change is more kind. And yet, is it really? I mean, when we think of it, perhaps the biggest change in the early church was when uh, the church began to allow Gentile believers to be believers in Christ and that was such a huge change. You would think that Peter and Paul would have sat down and said, this is going to take decades to get people <laughs> used to the idea. But they implemented it relatively quickly and overnight with some challenges. But, yeah, Paul was persecuted for it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But they said, this is the way it's supposed mm-hmm. to be. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, sometimes the church 
is the hope of the world. I mean, Christ is the hope of the world, but mm -hmm. his plan is to use the church. And while we're thinking about slow incremental change, we're, we're putting on hold the mission of the church. Amen. Thank you. Well, you're listening to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Lee Critcher. Lee's the senior pastor of Amplified Church in the eastern suburbs of Pittsburgh. We'll be back just after this. Welcome back to The Leadership File with me, Andy Peck. I'm joined this week by Lee Critcher. Lee's the senior pastor of Amplified Church in the Pittsburgh area of Pennsylvania. He's the uh, author of a, of, of a book. He's been on, on the show before. Uh, it's for a new generation. Uh, subtitled A Practical Guide for Saving Your Church from Extinction. And uh, we've been talking a little bit about some of the, the changes that he was able to make in the, um, in the church, uh, having uh, returned from Atlanta uh, back to the Pittsburgh area in order to, um, to help a declining church. And wonderfully how that church was turned around from around about 200 to now uh, close to 2,000 on a, on a weekend attendance. Um, with Again, with the age profile dropping from around 50 to around 35. So looking uh, particularly at some of the strategies you adopted, uh, Lee, um, you, you talk about adopting a new mindset. And I guess uh, for, for many, that, that will be a, the, the key change that they need to think differently. So talk about um, how, that, how that was implemented. Yeah, I think without a new mindset, for us it was the, the people of our church definitely had an attitude um, that said, if it was good enough for us, it's good enough for our children. Yeah, this is the way we came to interact with Christ. This is the way our children will. And we had to change the mindset to a question that said, what will it take to reach our children? And so without changing our core beliefs, without changing our core values, we had to put everything else on the table. Our ministries, our approach to ministry, um, our programs, all those things. We had to say, let's put that on the table uh, and whatever we need to change to be more effective at reaching the next generation, then we're willing to do that. And that did take a lot of, uh, you, I, I spent a lot of time in the pulpit on the weekend casting vision about asking that question. And a lot of our leaders were out answering questions and talking to people about the fact we need to start asking this question and quit assuming that the next generation will just come to Christ in the exact same framework of thinking that we have. And so that was a big, that was a big, without that mindset change mm -hmm. from that statement to that question, um, I, I don't know that anything else could have happened. No, sure. Um, I can imagine UK churches, uh, you know, we have the, the, the age profile problem that you had very much. Uh, and what would typically be the case is that people say, well, we're, we're a church for older people. So, you yes. know, if people want a younger church, they can go down the road. You know? yes. And I guess you've got, you had probably come other churches around in Pittsburgh, and that could have been the mindset of your church. <laughs> yes, and yet I felt this way. Uh, if God, I do believe God will call certain to churches to serve a certain segment of the population mm -hmm. around which yeah, they're they're there to minister too. So I talked to a pastor who said, I believe we should be serving people who have addiction problems. Mm -hmm. And so that's a call of God. But to me, we were placed in the eastern suburbs of Pittsburgh. And I didn't believe God was calling us just to reach the older people of our community. I believe we were there for a reason. And if we, if the average age, which it was according to the census, was 35, mm -hmm. and we were over 50, we were not doing our job. 
we were not fulfilling our calling. Mm. So I felt, you know, I didn't, I didn't believe that God wanted us to resign ourselves to saying we're going to be an older church, mm. you know. But um, instead, we became a church that reached our, and, and we've got every generation very well represented in our mm. church. It's very exciting. It's, it's not becoming a new generation church isn't just about becoming a church filled with young people. Mm. Um, but it's a church filled with all generations. Sure. Well, you, you heard the statistic I gave at the start. Um, you know that uh, every person who comes to faith in the UK, five five believers will die. Uh, just in terms of our demographics. So, clear, you know, we we have a big big challenge on in the UK, and this is a big issue. And in, in the, I know for we're in the Northeast US, which mm. is has a very similar profile as far mm. as. The number of young people who have either stopped attending church or never have attended church—it's mm-hmm. we're nowhere near the Bible Belt, and we had a number of people who just said, "Hey, we're just in a post-Christian society, so if the church <laughs> dies, the church dies. We can't control that." And I said, "We just have too many. We keep giving ourselves excuses yeah. to to not do anything." Yeah, yeah. And we, so we had to try something, and. If for some reason the church, we had about 70 of the 200 people, maybe about a third of them or so, that that did end up going to other churches within the first two or three years. And they just said the changes are, we just want to find a place where we can worship that's more consistent with what our preferences are. And they were, I totally understood that. And we shook hands in from every case I recall, and mm. we run into each other, and it's positive. They knew what I was trying to do, what we were trying to do in the church. Mm. Um, so not everyone can make that leap. Mm. Um, but they all have a home in heaven, and they all are in good <laughs> churches. And we now have hundreds of people who are far from God who are now a part of God's kingdom. Sure, sure. Well, we, we will have a look at all the seven strategies, and indeed um, there will be an offer to to get this book uh, free if you um, – yeah, if, if listeners want to, so I'll, I'll give that mention at the end. But um, another of the of the mentions is is eliminate distractions, and I think that might be be valuable to look at because uh, you know having a good mindset is great, but the implementing changes is is hard work when there are distractions. And and we know from the book of Nehemiah, for example, that was the big battle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Rebuilding that wall, you know. When I was a young pastor, I met and. Uh, a pastor who was in a storefront church and he used to bring his dog to church with him and the dog sat in front of the pulpit and during the service the dog would bark and howl during the church service (laughs) and one of the visitors came up and said to him he was explaining this to me um, that a visitor came up and said I like the service but the dog is a distraction and he said that's my dog I love my dog and if it's between you and the dog the dog stays (laughs) And so I knew his church wasn't going to grow (laughs) too much. But I also, he was explaining Mm. this to me in almost a proud way. I love my dog so much. Mm. Well, we, I think our our churches are filled with barking dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Things that, (laughs) that distract the people we're trying to reach from our core vision, our core mission. Our core mission is to lead as many people as possible into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm. So we had certain distractions that, uh, like, for instance, our church, uh, before I returned, used to hand out political voter guides. Mm. And they basically pointed our the congregation to all vote in the same direction. Well, to me, if our vision was to lead as many people as possible to vote the way the senior pastor wants them to vote, 
then uh, that's fine. But it wasn't. It wasn't. And half of the people in our community that we're trying to reach would have had a different political persuasion. So mm. they would have come in and said, oh, you know, th this must be, if, I, if I'm not a member of this political party, I won't be comfortable in this mm. church. And I was so happy at the last election. I had a couple come up to me and they said, we've been arguing over who you voted for in the last election. And we want you to settle it. Uh, and, I thought, nice. <laughs> and I said, oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> but that seems like a little thing. But mm. we had a dress code. Everyone had to wear a suit and a tie to come to church. Mm. Well, there are so many young people who, in a, yeah. in a more um, casual business environment, didn't even have a suit. No, sure. The idea, you have to go shopping before you <laughs> come to church. Yeah. So it, it was a distraction. Our announcements were a huge distraction. We used to have almost 30 minutes 20 to 30 minutes of announcements no, every weekend in church. And for the visitor, there wasn't one second that meant anything to them. It no. was one person after another getting up as a proponent for their mm. own ministry um, and trying to get recruit people to come and join them. And so we, you know, the first week I said to whoever was doing the announcements, I said, if, if this goes longer than two minutes, you'll never be on the platform again. <laughs> a strong leadership yeah well i it was a little bit i like high involvement leadership but i was a little more authoritarian authoritative in those early days um and, and we've loosened up on that of course mm -hmm. but the fact is we had to identify what are some things mm -hmm. that we're just so used to but really are distracting the people we're trying to reach from what our core vision and mission is all about yeah, wonderful. Well, the, just to um, outline, there's the there's seven strategies that you mentioned. Um, and uh, ad adopt a new mindset was the one. Identify the essentials. Eliminate distractions. Make bold changes. Uh, there's one on music. What was the music one? Update, uh, update your music. Elevate your messages. I mean, uh, we found that the music in our church was pretty much a soundtrack of the spiritual lives mm. of the aging people who were there. Yeah. Yeah, and sure. it's just, you know, when London, it's been fantastic this week to be here. Mm. Um, the weather is magical. Mm. And we, my wife and I went down to the theater district and saw the tribute to the Kinks, um, mm -hmm. sunny afternoon. Yeah. And we loved it. It just mm. brought back, I went to see the Kinks when I was in high school. Oh, right. And well. we, we loved the music, but we looked around and it was filled with older people. Like my kids don't even know who the Kinks are. Yeah, sure. But if we were trying to reach young people, they would walk in and the music of our church was a throwback to the choruses of the 70s and 80s mm -hmm. and the hymns that were so meaningful to the elderly population of mm -hmm. our church. But when we began to to bring in some music from Hillsong and Passion and mm -hmm. things that a younger generation could more mm -hmm. easily identify with, it really made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's uh, the, the sixth one was create new environments and then uh, build a mentoring culture, which you've, you've kind of yes. mentioned before. So if you want to receive a copy of For a New Generation, just email me, apec at cwr.org.uk. I've got, it uh, looks like, about a dozen, a dozen copies. So it'll be first come, first served. Uh, I can send you a copy uh, and of that uh, free of charge. So do uh, avail yourself of that. It's a terrific read. And uh, particularly if you're in a church that uh, really needs to uh, save itself from extinction, or at least if you extinct, think extinction might be around the corner if you don't something, do something very soon. So, Lee, thank you so much for 
My pleasure. Really. With us. Thank you. So uh, much. And thank you for joining us too. Do uh, log on to Premier's own website, www.premier.org.uk, and you can listen to archive versions of Leadership File, including this one, in due course. I look forward to your company again next Sunday at 3.30. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to The Leadership File on Premier. Andy Peck serves as a tutor at CWR, a Christian charity whose courses and publications aim to apply God's word to everyday life. Contact him via email apeck at cwr.org.uk. Thank you.